Cynthia, and thank you to our worship team for leading us this morning. And uh, happy uh, uh, Sunday and happy autumnal Sunday. What a great week this was after we got past the rain on Wednesday. And uh, what a great day yesterday was as well. So thank you for all of those who gave for that Rise Against Hunger. It was uh, just an outstanding time to be together as a church Body. Now, before I kind of dive into our scripture today, I just want to say a couple, or one thing actually, which is to remind you that next Saturday uh, is when Alan Fadling will be here to talk about an unhurried life. And so uh, I want to really encourage you that wherever you are in life, whether you are in your 20s or whether you're in your 90s, I don't think we have anybody in the hundreds, not yet, but um, wherever you are, um, that we can always use some space to just be quiet and to be still. I want to encourage especially those who have young kids. Uh, A, we have childcare, so if you're looking to get rid of your kids for a little bit, you can. But B, this is oftentimes a time when we feel like we're in too much of a hurry to be able to fit in something like this. And so I just want to encourage you to really think about signing up for this. It's free. There's lunch, uh, which is almost all reason in and of itself to come. And so I encourage you to sign up online. We would love to have you here with us next Saturday. Well, today uh, we are continuing our look as we go through the New Testament, um, and we are going to be looking at Galatians today. This will be the only Sunday that we're in Galatians. We're kind of hitting up against a bunch of shorter letters, and so uh, we're not going to stay in any one letter for very long right now, at least for a little bit. And today we're looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. And so I invite you to hear these words. Paul writes this. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. And sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. That those of the, though these words were written so long ago, it is striking how much they have to say to us today. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So no matter what sector of life you are in, whether it's uh, in hospitals or businesses or nonprofits uh, or churches, uh, the last, I don't know, year and a half or so have been a very strange time. There have been challenges, there have been joys, 
Uh, and certainly, ZPC has, has been there as well. I mean, I was thinking about it this week, uh, some of the things that we can really celebrate, including, as I already said, you know, the thing yesterday. I mean, this rise against hunger, it was great. Even our little six-year-old, she got into it. She loved it. She was just putting little vitamin packets in, and there was this great energy. It was so good to be on mission uh, with around 200 or so of you yesterday, and that was great. And we've gotten, you know, to be able to see things like the food pantry, that they're uh, getting permits right now. So if you want to pray, pray for the food, for the permits so that we can then uh, begin to build sometime over the next several months. Uh, that's the hope. Um, our city life, our partnership that we have with the northwest uh, side of Indianapolis where we are uh, helping to provide a staff member that will help us to know how we can best love them and, and help us to know what we can learn from those on the northwest side of Indy. The, they're starting to get some candidates there for that uh, job, and so we're excited about that. Your, your generosity of course, is something that's very uh, appreciated, and it helps us to be able to continue the mission of God. Last week, I think we had the most folks that we've had in middle school since we've uh, uh, gotten back from COVID. So there are all these things that, to me at least, are, are very exciting and wonderful. But there are, of course, also challenges that we have, like so many Last Wednesday, uh, the ministry team, uh, we got together and spent uh, around two hours uh, kind of going through uh, most of the ZPCers um, that we know. We wanted to check in, you know, in, in this kind of strange time. It's hard to know who's where and how are things going. And so we, we did that. And so we just kind of went through most of it. There's a decent chance that you were, your name was mentioned, um, which should be a little nerve-wracking probably. And so, so we did that, and, 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 and it was great, and there were some really great moments, you know, as we said, oh, you know, we saw them for the first time last week, or oh, we heard they're coming here in a couple of weeks, but there were also, of course, some more difficult times. There were some times when we got into a little bit of a, of a rut, almost, where we were saying, no, they're not coming because of COVID, no, they're not coming because we're requiring masks, no, they're not coming because of COVID. No, they, they don't, they're not coming because we're requiring masks. No, they're not coming because they don't like Jerry. All of those things. That one, I think that really was true. I'm pretty sure it was at least one of those, Scott. And honestly, as we kind of went through that, it, it, was, it was a little bit depressing at times. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of sad, right? It's this, this great reminder of the fact of this kind of tumultuous period in which we live as a society, Right, where people, not only do they have opinions, people have always had opinions, but now people are 100% sure that their opinion is absolutely right. Which makes it really hard then to have conversation about disagreements and things like that. One of the things that's been helpful to me, of course, is to realize that, you know, ZPC is not alone. In fact, there are many churches, many of whom, quite frankly, are undergoing a, a much more kind of chaos or conflict than what we are. Uh, as Pastor Scott and I have both, we've talked about this, have uh, uh, several friends um, we know of who are pastors, uh, many of them in their late 50s or early 60s, who have, who have begun reaching out to their financial planners, or one of them I know just hired a financial planner, to ask the question, can we retire early? In fact, one pastor I was talking to a little while back now, he's been in his church for many years, I could just kind of hear his heart breaking as he was just talking about the fact that they've, he spent years developing a sense of community and, and unity and sacrificing for Christ and for one another, and all it's taken is one virus to kind of splinter the community apart. This is a super uplifting sermon. I hope you're ready for this. 
So it can be kind of dispiriting at times. But what oftentimes happens, of course, is whenever you get into one of those kind of more depressing kind of times, you're like, oh, what was us or what was me? Uh, you, you begin to think, I must be the only one, and this is the first time it's ever happened. And you can really get down to a place where you think, well, the church, it just, this is the death knell. It'll never survive this. And then you begin to remember that actually from the very beginning, the church has always had conflict. That from the very beginning, the church has always had disagreements that have brought it much struggle and strain. In fact, of course, and you probably know this, we wouldn't have much of the New Testament if it wasn't for church conflict. I mean, Paul's letters, the vast majority of them, are written in response to the fighting going on within the church, whether it's between Jews and Gentiles, whether it's between individual members, whether it's about whether or not you have to uh, do a dietary law, follow that or not, all of those things. Paul is constantly trying to respond. He's constantly trying to keep the church unified and have them not splinter so that they can be a witness to the world around them, so that they can be a witness to what it means to be a peaceful community in the midst of chaos and conflict. And Paul, we said this a little bit last week, it's easy to kind of not like Paul. He doesn't always seem you know, to be the nicest guy sometimes, but when you think about how he poured so much of his life into all of these different churches and then watched as they seemed to be uh, dividing over whatever issue it may be, you kind of begin to feel almost sorry for Paul. It makes sense that he's really hurting and he's trying to say, can you please just stay together? I was thinking as I thought about Paul, I was reminded of a book I reread this past week called uh, Failure of Nerve. And Edwin Friedman talks a lot about leadership in businesses, nonprofits, churches, all those things. But he says, here's what's the most dangerous part about being a leader of an organization. Here's what he says. He says, the position that is most dangerous to a leader's health is what I call the togetherness position, in which the leader feels responsible for keeping a system, organization, church, whatever, together. Such leaders are most likely to suffer burnout, function badly, or suddenly die. I told you, very uplifting. When forces pulling in opposite directions have stretched their capacity to hold things together to its breaking point. So think about Paul. Here he is. He's trying to love these different churches. And it makes sense why, as we said last week in 2 Corinthians, he says, I am anxious for all of you churches. So what in Galatians then is Paul trying to do? How is he trying to keep the church unified in the midst of conflict and disagreement? Well, he says what the church must do if it wants to remain united, even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of conflict, to be about the mission of God, they must live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And then Paul begins to give us examples of what it means to live by the flesh. Here they are, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, carousing, and things like these. Now, I preached on this passage six years ago. My guess is most of you remember. So let me just give a brief summary. 
about what the flesh is. The flesh is not, of course, just something uh, literally physical, if you will. It tends to oftentimes be those parts of, of ourselves and our desires that we have not yet turned over to God. Tim Keller, he describes it as, he says a lot of these things are actually uh, natural and good and even holy if kept within particular boundaries, right? So uh, sex, eating, drinking, our passions, our desire to be loved, all those things within, within boundaries um, um, can be good and holy. And so he says that actually what the flesh is, this is the over-desires. It's when we allow those things to drive us, and that that always, he says, causes separation, that always causes brokenness, whether it is within yourself or in relationships or in a community, right? So what Paul's trying to do here is he's worried about the Galatians staying together. He's trying to say, don't do these sorts of things that will then cause disruption and brokenness in the church. But now here's what's important. That's not all Paul says he doesn't just say, okay, stop doing those particular things. No, not at all. Nor, though, does he just kind of say, here's exactly what you should have is just, just a nice community. Just, just try to get along. Just sing Kumbaya 20 times, and that will solve everything. Instead, he begins to describe what a peaceful community looks like. What are the attributes of a peaceful community? What, what Paul calls fruit. Now, if you can do it without falling asleep, I want to encourage you to just close your eyes for a moment as I read these attributes and just see what they feel like to you. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience, kindness, goodness or generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can't you just picture that community? It's like, it's almost a sense of exhaling. Can't you just picture how much the society around us would be drawn to a community that is exhibiting those traits. And so I'm appreciative to Paul for the simple fact that he doesn't just say, hey guys, let's just get along here, stop fighting. Instead, he says, if you want to have a peaceful community, you need love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and, and self-control. These are what you need. But what I also like and what I want us to especially consider this morning is the image he gives us of the fruit. Because I think that this is actually the key part here of how we can actually begin to develop these characteristics within ourselves. I mean, think about fruit for a minute, if you will. Uh, the, the interesting thing about fruit, I don't know if you've ever grown, uh, tried to grow fruit. I haven't, but I've, I've, I've seen a documentary on it. Um, or, or, or have a garden, right? What, what you know, of course, is that you, you, you don't just kind of focus on the end product. You, you, you don't just kind of hurry up and try to make it happen, right? In other words, you don't go into the kitchen and you're there for about, you know, 30 minutes and you've kind of, you know, you put some things together and you're like, ah, an apple, right? You don't sit there and say, okay, I got the recipe. I got it. We're going to throw it in the oven. And then 15 minutes later, we're going to come out. Hey, it's a banana. You know that, right? 
We're smart people. Thank you. Good. No. What do you do to make that happen? Well, you till the soil. You plant the seed, you pull some weeds, you water some things, you put in some fertilizer, you prune as it begins to grow, you make sure there's enough sunlight. In other words, you do all of these things. You focus entirely almost on the soil all around and what you're doing. You, you, you can't actually make a banana. You can't actually make an apple. And what I would suggest is it's the same with the fruit of the Spirit. You can't actually make yourself be gentle. You can't make yourself be a person of joy. You can try. I've tried. It doesn't happen. You can't. We want to. We wish we could. ZP Sears wish we could just uh, will this thing, right? But you can't will a banana, and you can't will gentleness. Instead, you have to cultivate it. And that is much deeper than what we oftentimes try and do. A while back, I used the analogy, and it's the one that just kept coming to my head this, uh, uh, this week, which was NFL. When I was growing up, I loved the NFL. I was passionate about the NFL. Many of you uh, were like this or are like this. You know, my, my room, like a lot of kids' rooms, you know, has just full of all different kind of, you know, football teams and all this. I just loved it. Half of my clothes, you know, were, were, were Dallas Cowboys. That's a fan. I know you don't like Dallas Cowboys, but I love the Cowboys. And I had a big old Dallas Cowboy belt buckle. I mean, it was classic. I looked good wherever I went. It was fantastic. I loved it. And when I got older, you know what? I just, I just kept growing. I mean, I loved it all the more. Why? Well, because then they came up with ESPN, right? I mean, that's how old I am. It's like, whoa, ESPN. And so every, you know, when I was in college, every Monday morning, everyone's just watching Sports Center again and again to see all, all the highlights. Remember those days? I mean, this was just, this was, we, we loved it, right? And then with the advent of the internet, holy cow, then it was just all the information I could ever have wanted about NFL. I mean, I loved it. I would have said that I lived and breathed it. It was just in my blood. Who am I? I am just an NFL lover. This is just this is what I do. This is who I am. And within about a one-year span, I lost about 90% of that passion and desire. Now, what happened? Did I just wake up one day and say, I'm not going to do it. I refuse to like the NFL anymore. I'm just, yuck. No, it wouldn't have worked. What happened was I changed the soil in which I was planted, literally. So I moved away from the soil of America, and I moved to the soil of Scotland. And see, here's what happened when, I'm, when I was there, right? Remember, this was like 20 years ago, so things were a little different, but I, you couldn't really watch a football game. The only way you could watch a football game was to go to a bar to see it. And that, quite frankly, spending three and a half hours in a bar with a bunch of people I don't know is not that enjoyable to me. Plus, the games were, were super late because of the time difference, and so I didn't really want to stay up till midnight to watch a game. I, I liked it, but I was sleepy. Not only that, of course, but if I wanted to, there was no ESPN, so I couldn't really see any ESPN. Uh, the internet back in the day, you know, if you were overseas somewhere, it was only in cafes, and you had to pay for it, and I wasn't going to pay that much. I didn't have that much money. I was poor. There wasn't anybody around me who really wanted to talk about it all the time, so I didn't really have people to kind of talk to and all those things. And what began to happen slowly, of course, is that slowly but surely, this 
plant, right, this tree of the NFL began to be choked out. It wasn't an intentional thing I was doing, but there was just nothing feeding it. And so naturally, quite strangely, naturally, my love of it, I mean, I I couldn't have believed this a year before, all of a sudden it just didn't care as much. Not only that, of course, but then I was planting and cultivating other kinds of trees, right? I mean, they were big into soccer, right? I didn't know anything about soccer. And so I was like, okay. And, and they, you know, they wanted to talk about rugby. And I was like, okay. So, you know, they would talk about how much they don't like the English. And I was like, all right, that's fine, I suppose. But I was feeding all this. This was being fertilized. This was being watered. This was being pruned. This was being left alone and just kind of dying. It was not intentional. It wasn't a willful kind of thing. It's just that I wasn't, that, that, that soil was not being fed. What's the point? Are you trying to say, Jerry, that Paul doesn't like the NFL? Probably not that much, right, honestly. But that's not the point. The point is this. That when we want to think about being a loving, united community that has all these great attributes, you cannot force those things. The question that we have to ask is a much deeper question as Christians, which is, what is the soil in which I am being planted and how am I feeding those things that will, we pray, eventually develop into fruit that will be joyful and peaceful and gentle and patient And have self-control. What does that mean? What does that practically mean? Here's what I think it may mean. There's a few things. First, I think it means that we may need to start doing more weeding than what we have been doing. One of the things I've been particularly struck by are Christians um, who uh, bemoan the divisions in our society, who bemoan the political chaos, who bemoan the responses to COVID, who bemoan the polarization of our society. Oh, this is not the way it used to be. This is horrible. Why can't we just get along? Why does everybody hate each other? This is just ridiculous. And then immediately turn on Fox or CNN or MSNBC. And for It got real quiet at the 8 o'clock, too. And for two hours, water the plant of non-gentleness and non-peace and division. And then are shocked that they are more anxious and fearful and angry than they were two hours previous. It's like being mad that peaches keep coming up on a tree When you think it should be apple, but you've been planting peach seeds, if that's a thing. Or we sit there and we say, ah, I can't believe it. It's just, why is this world so divided? Oh, there's a one-sided post. I should share that on Facebook. (laughs) And then we're dumbfounded. Why can't we just, why can't we be more united? So I got a few things, challenges for you this week. Here's number one. I want you to weed this week, which means I want you to not go on social media all week. I know some of you are quickly, I got to see there's some scrolls here first. 
And I'll say, well, I'm just not going to look at the ones that are political on Facebook. And no, you cannot do it. To not watch the news. I understand. I know. I'm not saying, hey, we should be anti-intellectual. I'm not saying I'm asking for one week. One week. If something big happens, we will send out an email to you to let you know what happened. (laughs) And then I want you to just see. After a week of pulling out weeds, I just want you to see. Do I feel any different? Do I feel less anxious, less peaceful, or more peaceful, I should say? Just pull out some weeds and just see what happens to the soil in which you have been planted. Secondly, I want you to water the fruit. I want you to take 15 minutes. Now, I know you're saying, I don't have 15 minutes. When I said no social media, on average, I cleared up two and a half hours out of every one of your day. You are welcome. (laughs) I'm going to want 30 minutes back in all, but I only want 15 minutes right now. And I want you to contemplate, meditate, reflect, whatever you want to say, on one of the fruit, or if you want to do one each day, you can do that. And you can do it however you want to do it. If it's just a sense of joy and you just want to think about joy or you just want to think about someone you know who's full of joy or you want to journal about joy or you want to draw or paint joy, whatever it is you may want to do, I just want you to water every day. That's how plants grow. Every day, just begin to water that one thing and see how it feels at the end of the week. It won't just happen, and you can't will it. I want us to keep thinking about communal worship. I think that's important. I would call that pruning of the tree. You see, what happens is all through the week, we're told different things. Oh, this should be your priority. No, this is why you matter. No, this is where your identity lies. All of these things, these lies as we would say them. And what we need to do when we gather together and we read Scripture and you're reminded of who the Lord is, when we pray together, when we say the Lord's Prayer, when we sing together, all of those things, we are pruning, we are cutting back the bad uh, uh, limbs and we are cultivating the good ones. Here's what James K.A. Smith says about communal worship. He says this, the practices of Christian worship train our love. I love that. Pruning it, training our love. They are practice for the coming kingdom, habituating us as citizens of the kingdom of God. Christian worship, we should recognize, is essentially a counterformation. You hear that? Is a pruning to those rival liturgies we are often immersed in, cultural practices that covertly capture our loves and longings, miscalibrating them, orienting us to rival versions of the good life. When you come to worship in here, when we sing together, are encouraged and challenged by one another, remember who we are and whose we are. This is a constant pruning that then helps to cultivate us so that we can have the right kind of soil. I think these are the things that we can actively do, but there is one other aspect of the fruit imagery that I want us to think about, and I would dare to suggest this might be the most difficult for most of us. 
So there you are. You've got a plant, a tree, whatever it is, and you've done everything. You've weeded it. You've cultivated it. You've, you've uh, uh, not filtered it. You have uh, put in, what else do you do? Fertilized it. Thank you. This is just trying to keep you involved. We've um, watered it. You've done all those things. You've pruned it. You've done all those things. But you still can't actually make the fruit appear. This is what's frustrating. You do all those things that are absolutely necessary, but at the end of the day, then you have to wait and see what God will do with it. You see, this is the same thing with the fruit. We do all these things to cultivate the soil, and that is good and right, and it's necessary. But ultimately, it is the Spirit of God that will bring unity. Ultimately, it is the Spirit of God that will cultivate within us love and joy and peace and patience. That is really important to remember. You see, last Wednesday, when we went through this whole list of people, right after that, I'll tell you what I wanted to do. I wanted to kind of yell at some people. None of you, of course, because I would never do that. But I wanted to yell at people to say, come on! Let's listen to one another, which would not have been helpful. What I really wanted to do as well is I wanted to just get into a bus, and I wanted to just on this Sunday morning, I wanted to drive around in every neighborhood. I wanted to honk. I wanted to say, get out of your jammies. It's time to come to worship, people. I wanted to do something. I wanted to make it happen. Which is why, when I'm looking at it well and theologically appropriately, I realize that all of this is ultimately a gift because it is a great reminder that it is only the Spirit that can bring these things. Look, we could have unity. If we all decided we would just vote for the exact same party or that we would have responded to COVID in the exact same way or we're going to cheer on the exact same football team, whatever. If we all wanted to do that, we could. We could just say, okay, all right, only if you have all these things and you check off all these boxes, then you can be in our church. That's great and that's fine, I suppose. You'll get along at least for a little bit. The problem is what you don't need in that situation is the Holy Spirit. It's not necessary. But if we want to be a body who is not afraid to have some disagreements and yet can be unified by the power of the Spirit, then we need to realize that we are desperately in need for the Spirit of God to be with us. Which is why I'm asking for your next 15 minutes, making 30 every day, 15 minutes of meditation of watering, and then 15 minutes of simply being as still as you can and praying for the Holy Spirit. Praying for the Holy Spirit to inhabit who you are, to form you into the kind of person who bears fruit, spiritual fruit. Praying for the Spirit to continue to bring unity here at ZPC. Praying for the Spirit to bring unity and peace to the church in America and to the church across the globe. As this great reminder that we cannot do this without the Spirit of God. And I want us to start that now. 
I know this is going to be awkward. We don't normally do this. But that's okay. I'm going to ask us just to take maybe about four minutes or so and just be quiet. No music. And I just want us to pray. To pray that the Spirit will inhabit, will awaken, and will guide. For we desperately need the Spirit of God. So let us pray. God, we invite your Spirit into this place, into this time, right now. Speak to us.